Good morning. It's grateful to, we're grateful to be here this morning to worship God together in spirit and in truth. Also grateful that our family is finally here at home with the church family here at Lehman Avenue for our first Lord's Day of worship together. To being able to labor together with you, enjoy fellowship together, and grow together as we serve our God. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 6, God appeared to Moses at the I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And as he appeared to Moses in that moment and made that declaration, he declared himself to be not only the God of the patriarchs, but also the God of the promises. He was saying to Moses that the promises that have been made before to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I've come to perform those things. He would go on to tell Moses that you are going to lead these people out of Egyptian bondage. I've heard their cry and you all are headed to a land flowing with milk and with honey. It's a land of great produce, a land of wealth. And it is there that you will fulfill all that I've prepared for you. He sends Moses and his brother Aaron as spokesmen to Egypt and also to the Israelites, but he doesn't send them empty handed. Exodus chapter seven through 11 detail that God sent Aaron and Moses with a message. So with signs and plagues to get the people designed to introduce Egypt to the God of heaven and show them who the true God was, but also to remind Israel of who they served and what he was capable of doing. After the plagues are finished, God takes Israel and marches them through the Red Sea on dry land as he prepares to take them into the promised land of Canaan. And I would love to tell you that after all that God had done, after all of the goodness that God had shown to Israel, that those individuals that saw those signs and blessings were the most faith-filled people that there ever were. I would love to tell you that none of God's promises and none of God's provisions were wasted on them. It'd be great if we could stand here and say that after all that God had done for Israel, they never doubted, they never complained, they never looked back to the days of Egypt and said, we had it better back over there. But if you're a student of Old Testament history, you know that the exact opposite happened. Israel never saw a blessing that they didn't despise or something of which they couldn't complain about over and over again. They whined and complained about their circumstances. As they near the land of Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 1, 20 through 23, it was their idea. They said, how about we send spies over into the land of Canaan and spy it out? And God went along with it. He had Moses in Numbers 13, 1 through 16, select 12 men, one man from each tribe, leaders, to go over into the land of Canaan and spy it out and bring back a report. They are to go over and they are to see the land, what type of land it is and what people are there. And they do. They come back with souvenirs. They had fruit in their hands, but fear in their hearts. Numbers 13, 21 through 25 says that the spies come back, at least 10 of them, with a negative report. They sing the blues. They sing gloom and doom as they say there is just no way that we can go over and conquer this land and be successful. But there were two faithful spies, two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, which said the exact opposite. And Numbers 13 and verse 30, we have Caleb's words recorded where he says, let us go up and take possession of this land for we are well able to overcome it. Now, their conviction, that of Joshua and Caleb, that they could be successful and do what God told them to do, it went unheeded and ignored by fellow countrymen. But it's been preserved for you and for me. There's a lot we can say about the faithless spies and the 10 men that said we can't and how they infected the entire nation of Israel. But I think our time would be better spent this morning looking at the two faithful spies. What do they teach us about accomplishing God's will in the face of insurmountable odds? What what do they teach us about a faith that will not shrink and about being the people of God that realize whatever God has purposed for us to do, 
He's also equipped us to do it. Five lessons this morning from the faithful spies that I hope will sink deep into our hearts and to our church family here at Lehman and will help us be the people that God wants us to be. Number one, the faithful spies teach us that the majority is not always right. You think about going into the land of Canaan and you think about seeing all that the 12 spies saw. And as we said a moment ago, the 10 spies come back with a completely negative report. All they can see is gloom and doom and negativity and what can't be done. Numbers 13 and verse 31, they say that there are giants in the land. There are people there. We can't do this. We can't overcome them. They're stronger, mightier than we. In Numbers 14 and verse 1, the Bible says that they stood up. That, that is all of these men. And they cried all night to God. They were so angry at the report that Caleb and Joshua were trying to communicate to the people that in Numbers 14 and verse 10, they were ready to stone them to death. They pricked up stones to rid themselves of the positive influence of Joshua and of Caleb. Joshua and Caleb show us no matter what, the majority is not always right. In the census that's taken at the beginning of the book of Numbers, we we learn that there are 603,550 fighting men in Israel. So with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, there are 603,548 men who say we can't do this. And then there's Joshua and Caleb on this side of those folks saying, guess what? We can. Now, WKU's LT Stadium holds about 22,000 people. You would have to fill that stadium up 27 times. To reach the number of people that were on the opposite side of Caleb and Joshua, could you stand against that many people and say yes when all of them are saying no, we can't do it? That's what Joshua and Caleb are up against. The old law had this principle embedded in it. Exodus 23 and verse 2. You shall not follow a multitude to do evil, but sometimes it's tempting. Sometimes it's difficult to stand up for right and be courageous in the midst of people that say otherwise. But Joshua and Caleb teach us that we can. The majority isn't always right. Sometimes I've studied the Bible with people, maybe like you have, and we get to the point about becoming a Christian and you say, now, here's what the Bible says you must do in order to be saved. And a person may be astounded upon learning this for the first time. And they say, well, how could this be true when all of these people say this? Are all of these people wrong? Well, they could be. Jesus says that as it relates to matters of religion, most of the people are. what he describes as the broad way in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Most of the people, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, we've done all of these things in your name. We've done wonderful works and cast out demons. And Jesus will perfect day what Joshua and Caleb have taught us centuries before, that sometimes the majority is mistaken and the majority is wrong. Caleb was right to have the confidence that he did. Look at Numbers 13 and verse 30. We're coming. We can do this. Numbers 14 and verse 7, they say land it flows with milk and honey god will give it to us and in verse 9 their defense is departed from them their bread for us don't be afraid god is with us caleb and joshua show us that we're faced with the majority being against us with god's help we can do what god would have us to do the new testament says that the whole world lies in wickedness first john 5 and verse 19 that is most people are running in the opposite direction of our marching orders from what the majority is doing will be often led in the wrong direction. Instead of looking at what the crowd is doing and seeing what will please, we should focus on what Christ wants us to do and what he commands in his word. 
the Ash Conformity Experiment was started by a man named Solomon Ash, and it's been praised in psychology circles ever since. What the experiment was designed to do by Mr. Solomon was to see how often people could be influenced by others, even when they knew it was wrong. And so what he did is Mr. Ash, he selected 50 students. And he said, you know what? In each of these experiments, I put seven actors in the room and we'll do the line vision conformity experiment. There's one of these lines that looks like exhibit one. And what he would do is he'd have the real student, the person that didn't know that this was all choreographed in stage to go last. And he'd have seven actors in the classroom and they would all say the wrong answer, even when the right one was obvious say, now, which of these lines looks like that line? And one by one, the seven actors would give the wrong answer. And then finally, he would get to the one who had no knowledge of those things and see what they would say. He found that 32 percent of the time people said the wrong answer. Seventy five percent of the time people at least gave once only 25 percent. Did an individual actually stick with what they know to be right? When the experiment was over, he got these students together and he said, why did you all go with the wrong answer when you knew the right one? Sometimes just couldn't face being ridiculed. Look at all of those people that were in the classroom saying that the right answer is actually C. We just couldn't face it. And so this conformity experiment shows us that people often aren't independent thinkers. And the last thing we often want to do is be ridiculed by the masses. But Joshua and Caleb teach us that sometimes when we stand for what's right, we must stand alone. And still we must stand there in a long line of faithful people like Noah, who in the whole world was drowned in unrighteousness, no favor in the eyes of the Lord because he was a righteous man. They're right. You said Baal is God when Israel knew better. He's in line with the three Hebrew boys when all of Babylon has the music. So because they knew there was only one true and sovereign God before whom they must bow and Christians must do the same. The majority is not always right. And Caleb and Joshua teach us that lesson, too. The faithful spies teach us, nor the naysayers. There are those that would have can't do the things that God would have us to do. But if we're going to be pleasing to God, we must ignore those that would try to influence us to the contrary. In verses 21 through 25, the faithless spies say more than the faithful ones. They have more words in their speech. They seem to be more convincing than Joshua and Caleb ever were. They went in. They spied out the land. And they bring back this report through. And they say, you know, it's a great land, just like you said, Moses. And everything you said is there. But there is just one problem. There are faithless spies never say, we don't think we can do it. They say more than that. They say, guess what? We can't do it. And we all could either. But we must ignore the naysayers. If we're going to be who God 28, they speak of the structure of the city, the size of their enemies. And they just say in unison, we can't accomplish what God wants us to. We know what to do. Can't do it. Joshua and Caleb stand up against this and they say, yes, we can. If we would be the people that God wants us to be, we too must learn to ignore the naysayers. I guess there are people in every family, in every group of any kind, that among the group there is this, this idea of cohesion and unity where the people say we are going in this direction and this is what we want to accomplish. And there are sometimes those sprinkled in the group that say, I just don't think we can do it. I don't think we can be successful. Maybe this obstacle is going to get in our way. And have you thought about this opposition over here? Things happen. 
We have to be able to say, we hope that you eventually come around. But in the meantime, there's work for us to do. When Nehemiah and company came back from Babylonian captivity, when the person, Samballot, Tobiah and Geshem that say, you couldn't build the wall that God wants you to build. If you did, it's so weak that if a fox ran up that wall, it would come tumbling down. But Nehemiah 4 and verse 6 says they built the wall and the wall was joined together until the half thereof because the people had a mind to work. Jesus told his disciples, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be removed from here. Nothing will be impossible for you. It doesn't matter what the naysayers say. Trust and believe God. There will be those that will try to impede our progress in the things that God would have us to do. But our conviction must be strong. And what God has called for us to do, he will equip us to finish. Noise canceling headphones can be expensive, but if you ride on airplanes a lot, they can be profitable. It tunes out the noise and whatever is saying and you get to focus in that moment on what you desire to do it is worth the cost and theologically speaking we must adopt the same we must be able to tune all of the noise out us to do as we look into his word and meditate on the positive things that he would have us to focus on no wonder in four and verse eight finally brethren whatsoever things are true and honest and just and Virtue or anything praiseworthy. Think on these things because the world has a long list of other things that it will have you to think about that are contrary to what God would have you to accomplish. In June of 2021, during the Tour de France, kilometers away from the finish line, and she held up a sign that when translated said, go mom, go grandpa and go grandma. Now, nobody knows why she held out the sign, but this is what we do know as she stood right there before the finish line. And as these men are moving at rapid speed, professional cyclists on these bikes, many individuals were hurt and damaged. And she was a what she had done knows why she held out the sign and why she distracted the runners. But this is what we do know. She impeded their progress. She caused a lot of damage. She disrupted the flow of traffic. And this is what nations often do. There are people in your life and my us to just slow down a little bit and we can't and the giants are too big and the obstacles are too large to overcome they may say various things to try to distract us i think about saul in first samuel 17 and david has do is make this long list of reasons why david won't be successful but david silences him in first samuel 17 32 to 37 i fought a lion and a Saul, if you don't want to go to battle, so be it. But don't stop me. And we must do the same. There may be those in your life who will say, this is how you've always been. Just accept it. You are. And to individuals, we must say, I've been washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, by and maybe we could have done that five or ten years ago different now and the cultural climate has changed so much we just can't do those things we can't be that successful but jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and our family people have always been blank and so just accept it be more comfortable with who you are here and we should say to them much like paul i was many things before but i've counted those things lost that i might win christ people can change and i've decided that i will Nothing is impossible with God, Gabriel says to Mary in Luke 137. And in doing the will of God, we learn from Caleb and Joshua to ignore those who would try to convince us that we can't. Number three, if we would be the people that God wants us to be, we learn from the faithful spies to refuse fear. 
In Numbers chapter 14, after these spies give their report, Joshua and Caleb stand up and they give theirs. If you notice in verse 7, in verse 8, and in verse 9, Joshua and Caleb are convinced that with God's help, there's nothing that they can accomplish and that they can and will be successful. They mention the Lord three times in verse 9. By the way, that's three times more than anybody has mentioned the Lord up to this point. What made Joshua and Caleb the men that they were, were that they focused more on God than on their problems. And maybe sometimes our problem is... The issues that we face in life are on our lips more than the name of our God. But with Joshua and Caleb, fear would not have the last word. Fear and faith cannot reside in the same heart. One of them must be evicted. And we have to make our choice. Joshua and Caleb saw the same people, the same produce, the same problems. And yet they came to a different conclusion. They were convinced that with God's help, there was nothing that they couldn't overcome. And they refused fear. They refused to let fear have its way. They chose otherwise. One of Jesus's favorite greetings to his disciples throughout the gospel accounts, and you can just run the references on this. One of Jesus's favorite ways to introduce himself to his disciples. It is I do not be afraid. He says it to him as he's walking to him on the water in Matthew 14 and verse 27. After the Mount of Transfiguration scene, when Peter makes that blunder and he says that he wants to build three tabernacles and God corrects him and says, fix your gaze on my son. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus comes and touches those men. Matthew 17 and verse seven. Do not be terrified or afraid. And Matthew 20 and verse 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body. But after that, have nothing that they can do. Instead, fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In Luke 12 and verse 4, he says, do not be afraid, but you do the things that God would have you to do. Jesus knows that fear paralyzes us and keeps us from doing the things that God would have us to do. There are a lot of things that we could say about the one talent man in Matthew 25, but maybe his greatest issue is he was afraid. When the master comes back and wants to return on the investment that he made in this individual, Matthew 25 and verse 25, what does the one talent man say? I was afraid, and that's why I went and hid your talent in the earth. What will the ten spies say at the judgment? Why didn't you storm the land with all of the promises and providence and provisions that God had given you? Why didn't you think you could be successful? And their response will be much the same. I was afraid. Fear is a reality that we all face, but we have to turn it and allow it to turn us toward a greater faith and confidence in God. The Psalms do not dispel this idea that God's people are ever afraid, but they do teach that we refuse to allow it to conquer us and overwhelm us. You know these passages. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Why? Because God's with me. It's not that the fear has disappeared for David, but God is magnified in his mind. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34 and verse 4. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 56 and verse three. I'm the Lord, your God. I'm with you. I will uphold you by my right hand. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. I don't know what types of things personally you're facing, but I know that the world is always trying to convince us that there is someone or something over which we must constantly be afraid. And the Bible is constantly saying there is someone whom we must always put our faith and confidence in who removes that fear. Now, points like these can go really bad really quickly when we just tell people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. A few months ago, Brittany and I were in a gospel meeting in Atlanta, and um, 
I'm terrified of elevators. I just rather not be on them. I have this fear that I'm going to get stuck on one, you know, and starve to death. So as best I can, I try to stay away from elevators. And we went out to eat one night in the meeting with one of the elders and his wives. And this fear, fear of mine came up. And he said, oh, don't worry. I've been stuck on the elevator before. It is terrible. He said, you don't ever want to get stuck on one. We were stuck in this high rise in Atlanta and we called and called and nobody came to our rescue. You just I took the stairs the rest of the week. Sometimes what we mean to communicate to people that are afraid really isn't helpful, is it? People are terrified and we just keep repeating this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, what can I do about my fear? Quickly, here are a few things we can do when we are afraid. Practical ways to attack fear. Number one, analyze faith building passages. It's great to memorize scripture, but we need to be strategic here and memorize passages that will help us in the times when we're afraid. Your heart and mine need to rehearse the truths of God that will build us up in our greatest hour of need. The psalmist says, I will meditate in your precepts, have respect unto your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your law. You and I need a refrigerator list of verses, if you will, that we can either memorize or turn to or have highlighted that will help us in times when our anxieties and fears want to get the best of us because it will happen. And merely saying don't be afraid may not be enough. But next, we need to be individuals that pray for courage. I don't know what you think about the Apostle Paul, but nobody requested prayers more than the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, he says, pray for me that I might be bold and speak as I ought to. Evidently, he was having trouble doing that. And what did Paul do in response to that? He said, pray for me to have the courage. I'm facing this fear. I'm facing this hardship. Pray specifically for courage in the areas that you are afraid and where you think you might crumble. An individual that thinks it through second Thessalonians, second Corinthians one, nine through ten. Paul says God's delivered us from so great a death. God does deliver and we trust for the future that he will deliver us again. Just think through your life and rehearse this reality. How often in your life has the worst case scenario actually come to pass? Sometimes we make God continually audition for our trust because we don't think it through. We don't realize how often God has delivered us and how faithful he's been. Remember God's promises. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, I will never abandon you nor forsake you. And then last, lean on God's people. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. The things that you fear and dread. There's often a Bible full of people and surely an auditorium full of people who have feared the same things. And who stand to tell the story that they weren't defeated by those things. And you don't have to be either. The faithful spies teach us that we need to refuse fear. Now, here's number four. The Lord makes the difference. For the faithful spies, what made the difference was that they had the God of Israel on their side. In Numbers 14, 7 through 9, they echo this reality that what's going to be the difference between us and the Canaanite people is the God that we serve. I love that Caleb and Joshua don't deny the opposition. They don't say that there are no Canaanites in the land, but they are also sensible in realizing that with God, they can do valiantly. Psalm 60 and verse 12. With God, they could overcome giants, but without him, they stood no chance if there were gnats in Canaan. They couldn't do anything without God, but with him, there was really no problem. Our fears make us irrational. Look at Numbers 13. Notice that in Numbers 13 and in verse 28, first they say there are giants in the land. And then in verse 33, there are giants in the land. But when you look at verse 32, they're saying there are giants everywhere. All of the people are giants because that's what fear does. It makes us irrational. We throw our rationality to the wind and we begin to see things that aren't there. But what Caleb and Joshua are able to see is that in their lives, 
the Lord makes the difference. And he makes the difference in yours and mine, too. What it'll boil down to for us is whether or not our sufficiency is of ourselves or of God. Second Corinthians three and verse five. Are we trusting in ourselves to get it done or do we believe that God's going to see us through? There are two bad ideas in our approach to our lives, mountaintops and how we view God. On the one hand, somebody says God's going to do everything. I don't have to do anything. God's going to do all the work for me. And there are just too many passages in the Bible that teach that we walk by faith, but faith without works is dead, that we have to do something. But on the other side is this idea that it's all up to me. And if I don't see how it can be done, if I don't see how it can be accomplished, if I don't have the plan, the strategic outline of how I'm going to succeed, it just can't be done. But these men say, you know what makes the difference? We have something. We have someone that the Canaanites don't have. We have the God of heaven and earth. Doesn't matter how tall they are. Doesn't matter how big they are. Some giants take longer to fall. But with God, all giants eventually do. And the Canaanites would eventually learn that lesson. It's interesting when you go forward from here and you read the book of Joshua, what the ten spies say couldn't happen. Joshua 11, 21 and 22 The sons of Anak are eventually obliterated and destroyed. The giants that they said couldn't be overcome. Caleb and Joshua lived to see them defeated. And the giants that people say today can't be overcome. There's no way that the church can overcome all of the things that we're facing in a world of unbelief, in a world where religious apathy is constantly on the rise. How can we wield an influence? The book of Numbers. And Joshua and Caleb say that we can. It's interesting that in a book titled The Book of Numbers, one of the greatest lessons is how little the numbers actually matter. Because if you have God, you have the majority. And that's enough. Now, here's the fifth and final lesson. The faithful spies teach us that in the end, God honors the faithful and the courageous. There may be one or two people in here, but I guess if we were to hand out a quiz on the 10 faithless spies, every one of us would flunk it. Could you name them? Do you know their names? History will always forget the faithless, the weak, those who say it can't be done. But Joshua and Caleb are forever remembered because of their courage, because of their faith. God keeps a ready recollection of the faithful. In Numbers 26 and verse 65, God says that those faithless spies, they were worried about dying in the wilderness and so they would die. Caleb and Joshua would live by their faith because they believed that they could. They would. They walked by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians five and verse seven. And because of that, God says the land would be theirs. Numbers 14 and verse 24. He says they had a different spirit. And he goes on to say when the plague came through in numbers 14, 36 through 38, and it destroyed those other individuals. Joshua and Caleb would be those that would go over into the promised land and inherit the land. The reason why Joshua 24, 15 is hung in homes around the world. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's because of the faith that he evidenced on this occasion. The reason why Caleb was able to say as an older man, 85 years old in Joshua 14, as he approached the land of Hebron and was given his inheritance, give me this mountain. It's because he was faithful and he was courageous. If we practice a dereliction of our duty, if we are faithless, if we surrender, we'll remember it. And we'll be punished for having done so. But if we are faithful, if we're bold, if we're courageous, God will remember us. Hebrews 11 is not the final roll call of the faithful. There is a heavenly roll call that will be called. And don't you want your name called? 
Don't you want God to say, hey, she was faithful. She believed she could and she did. He held fast even though the odds were against him. Hey, they didn't give up and they did what they could in their generation. Come and receive the crown of everlasting life. The reality is for most of us, if we want a holiday named after us, if we want to be remembered for something great, we're far behind the eight ball right now on that. For most of us. And a hundred years after our death, we'll be forgotten by everybody, maybe even our own families. But for those that are not interested in a popularity contest or worldly fame, that's not a sad note. Because the eyes of the only one who truly matters says, I will not forget your faithfulness and your righteousness and the works that you've shown toward my name. Hebrews 6 and verse 10. God will remember. God will reward. And the righteous will be blessed. Joshua and Caleb on this day when they bring back this report, are in the minority. There are 600,000 plus people on the other side saying that they're foolish. But today we read their story and we gain courage from their faith and from their conviction, which says to us, we can do the same. The things written before are written for our learning that we might be the people that God would have us to be. Maybe this morning you need to do what these men did and align yourself with God in a world that is often in opposition to him. You may be in the minority in your family as you obey the gospel and say, I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God and turn from sin and allow your body to be immersed in water. We would love to help you do that and to have God on your side and to have the heavenly majority working and fighting on your behalf. Maybe you've done that in the past and life has discouraged you. Fear has settled in and you would like the prayers of your Christian family. One of the ways that we overcome fear is by leaning on God's people. May we be courageous May we be those that say that we can and may we put our ultimate trust in God as our custom is. We're going to stand and sing this song to encourage us. If this is your invitation and you need to respond, come now as together we stand and sing.